0: Good morning, Mill City. All right, all right, all right. Um, For anybody who's brand new, my name is Aaron Stern, lead pastor here. I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody joining us online. We're so glad that you're here with us via technology. Um, But I also want to let everybody know before we jump into the message about something starting next month in November, and that's at the movies. Uh, it's our yearly series. Yeah, if you're if you're if you've been around for a little while, you know what it is. If you haven't been around for at the movies, you're in for a treat. Um, it is a very unique series uh, where we take movie clips or movies and and then but work uh, a redemptive draw out the redemptive message, teaching about the way of Jesus through it. But it really is an easy way to invite a friend to church, and so uh, want to put it on your radar screen now so that you can be thinking about who it is that you might invite. Uh, and have a few weeks to figure that out. Uh, as we jump into the message here today, uh, we're talking about questions, and specifically the questions that Jesus asked that we find in the Gospels. And we ask a lot of when questions. We ask, uh, "When am I going to get married?" Or "When are we going to be able to have kids?" Or "When am I going to get that job, the dream job?" Or "When am I not going to be in this job?" When when is my marriage going to be okay? When are, is my, my, my child going to come home? When are the Broncos going to go to the Super Bowl again? For that matter, when are the Broncos going to win another game? <laughs> when is Jesus coming back? And will the Broncos win a game before then? <laughs> Jesus asked 307 questions recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are open-ended questions because he's he's trying to provoke somebody to think and reflect and, and, and open their eyes to maybe a new reality. But you know, in all those 307 questions, not one of them are when questions. A lot of why questions, how questions, but he's less concerned about when and more concerned about why and how. And what's going on on the inside. So today, as we conclude this series, we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 6, starting in verse 48. It's going to be several verses, so uh, hang on. You can open your Bible if you brought one, or you can look at the screen, or open your, uh, open your iPhone, or however you might read the Scriptures. Let's read along together. It says, I am the bread of life, Jesus speaking. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. When he's referring to manna, and specifically, much of or most of his uh, audience is Jewish. And so, uh, they would have very much been aware of the story that he's referencing. And that's found in Exodus, where the children of Israel... uh, Are freed from slavery in Egypt, and they find themselves in the wilderness without any food, any food that maybe they did bring along, they've eaten by now. And so God provides for them by giving them manna from heaven, kind of a heavenly bread, if you will, uh, that they collected every morning. And yet, he says, and yet they died, um, not from eating it, but just from aging. They aged and died. Verse 50, but here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, he's referencing himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, which is around the Sea of Galilee. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, and here's our question for the day, does this offend you? Now, Jesus in this particular chapter in John chapter 6 is dealing with or talking about bread a lot this chapter starts off with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which of course is the multiplication of bread. And so they get a physical need met through physical nourishment. And then he starts talking about himself being the bread of life, and he expands on that by talking about how they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But, and it, so it seems like he, he's talking about something like, okay, I love this, and then he He seems to take a hard left turn and turn into zombie vampire Jesus (laughs) by saying that if you want this eternal life that I'm talking about, then the bread that you must consume is actually my flesh and blood. And if we're honest, it's a little dark and a lot weird, right? I mean, I don't think that we can read this and think, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, maybe you've been around the Bible for a little while and you've heard this story maybe many times and you're like, oh yeah, I know what he's going to say. of, but, but like, put, our, put fresh eyes on and pre- put fresh ears on and think of yourself as the Jewish audience listening to this, let alone the first time maybe you read it and you're like, what is he talking about? And it really would have been very disturbing for his first century Jewish hearers because they would have known that there was a strict prohibition from from consuming blood in the Torah law. We find a piece of that in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14, which says, you must not eat the blood of any creature, human or otherwise, because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. So as Jews, this was the law that they were following, and not only would they know that it wasn't actually something they could do, it was bizarre, it was against their law and extremely sacrilegious, and if they did, they had laws about what they had to do as a result. There would have had to be uh, extensive repurification process for them to be able to re-enter the community or or even re-enter their own homes. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not encouraging his followers to be cannibals. He is saying they will have their deepest hungers satisfied and their deepest thirst quenched by His death, by His spilled blood, and by His beaten body. But, in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From this time many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him because of of this teaching. I mean, and his disciples are like, hey, Jesus. (laughs) Now, remember, 15,000 people just got fed. So, there's a lot of people who are loving Jesus right now and then they're telling their friends and you got to see this guy. So he's got big crowds following him. The disciples are thinking about this is the Messiah and we are under oppression and we believe that the Messiah is coming to set us free from this oppression, specifically from the Romans at this time. So the large crowds to them are thinking they're thinking we can overthrow. We can resist. This is our time. We're going to be free. So Jesus tell them it's a metaphor. Tell them that you're not serious. Like, don't you realize, Jesus, this, you, you just got a big F in preaching because you, nobody said, oh yeah, Jesus, I want what you've got. They laughed. But Jesus wasn't interested in popularity. He was being, he was interested in being, having integrity related to his calling. So I wonder if for us, if integrity is more important than popularity, is, are we willing to lose friends, to do what's right, to say what's true, to embrace what's good? Are we willing in a day and age where it's not necessarily and not usually the hip thing to be a Christian, for somebody to think that, like, what's wrong with you? In a day and age, especially, where it seems like people are very quickly offended, easily and quickly. Offended by a word, offended on behalf of others, offended by politics, offended that somebody else would have a different perspective. I would guess that many of us in this room would be able to have, tell a story of how maybe even family relationships, let alone friendships, have been fractured as a result of offense around some sort of political idea or around uh, moral ideas and moral beliefs. Brain research has recently shown that the parts of the brain that are activated when someone describes themselves as offended or when another person disagrees with their political, religious, or moral beliefs are the same neurological zones in the part of the brain that are activated when someone physically attacks you. So maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise that when people react so passionately they feel offended. Because we hold so many of our beliefs so strongly that we perceive them to be an attack on our very being. It's kind of like a cat being backed into the corner and what's the reaction? (laughs) Right? (laughs) (sighs) Just a... I remember 2020 wasn't that long ago. Certainly it's true today, but it seemed like it was the year of the offense. And not only were families or friendships, but even churches were fractured as a result of offense. I certainly could tell many stories. Some of you might be aware of them if you've been around since 2020, of people that that decided, you know what, I was offended by what you said. As we decided that we were going to talk about what does Jesus have to say about racial justice? What does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus and, and to care about reconciliation and the impact of, of experiences of other people? And in those moments, I, I realized as people were quickly offended and, and ended up leaving a faith community because for them, the the. the that even the bringing up and discussion of the topic was a violation of their political ideology because, oh, it's actually the other side that talks about and embraces that idea. Or maybe if it wasn't racial justice, it was masks. If it wasn't masks, then it was politics and a particular candidate and, and who was or wasn't being talked about or whatever. Because somehow I'm offended has become the verbal alarm that signals some sort of misstep by the speaker. As opposed to, why am I offended and what's going on on the inside of me? In Matthew chapter 15, after Jesus taught about how the Pharisees had abused God's Word and the Pharisees were in the room, His disciples came to Him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? They seem to be indicating that because Jesus had offended the Pharisees, he should stop teaching those ideas or change his message. Jesus, however, thought nothing of the sort. He knew that his message offended the Pharisees because of the hardness of their hearts, not because of the way the message was delivered. Now, I think it's important that I'm clear that Jesus offended people, but he was not offensive. Jesus offending others does not give us permission to be offensive. We know that Jesus was humble and gentle and kind, full of compassion. So it does not give us the right to somehow say, well, I'm going to tell you what's true and be full of contempt and be harsh and judgmental. But in this particular moment in Capernaum, when he says to eat my flesh and drink my blood, it was disturbing, deeply troubling. But rather than apologizing and making them feel comfortable again, I don't want you to have bad, upset feelings. He goes further. John chapter 6, verse 62, he says, after he asks him, does this offend you? He says, basically, he's saying, does this offend you? Because if eating bread that gives you eternal life is offensive, just wait until you, have to hear, you hear what I have to say about loving your enemies. Just wait until you hear what I have to say and what you see me doing spending time with outsiders. Just wait until I share with you what I think you should do with your money. The original Greek word for offend, as found in this passage, is scandalizo, where we get the word scandalous. And it entails a sense of something that acts as a stumbling block or causes someone to fall. So when Jesus asks, Does this offend you? He's asking, is this going to cause you to stumble? Is this going to be the thing that leads you away from my teaching and causes you to say, you know what? Can't do it. But he's basically saying, hey, just wait until you see what happens next. Because if you can't handle this, you probably are going to be offended by me and some of my miracles when I do them. You might be offended by me flipping some tables in a temple. You might be offended by me eating with sinners and sex workers and 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 then I'm going to die and I'm going to rise to the again and then I'm going to ascend to heaven. so this is only the foretaste of of you potentially being disrupted. See, we really like fuzzy and warm Jesus. you know come to me, all you who are. Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, thank God for that. And that is wonderful and so true. But oftentimes we say, like, yeah, I'll take that, but I don't really want love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Or deny yourself. Because Jesus is also a disruptor. And so the question I think we have to ask ourselves today as we study this passage is have I ever been offended by Jesus? I have. I can think of lots of times, but, but it, I, I remember specifically in 2006, I worked at a church in Colorado Springs and, and the pastor, uh, it came out that the pastor had a double life. And I was so angry at him and angry at God upset. How could you let this happen? And look at the impact this is having having on, on people and their faith and, and so much disruption. I asked Jossie, she said, you can share uh, with everyone how offended she was when we lost our daughter. We had a daughter that was born stillborn after Brooks was born. Would have been our fourth. And we were so obviously heartbroken And had so many questions. But as Jossie described it as we were talking this week, she was, said, I had so much offense in my heart. God, why did you do it this way? Or why didn't you do it this way? Have you been or are you offended with God? That you're not married yet? You're like, God, you know that this desire is in my heart and I thought you might have actually put that desire there. So why? Or well, why, why can't we have kids? Why did my dad die, or why did my mom die, or why did my sibling die, or why did I lose this friend? Why did this happen? Why didn't I get the job when I was more qualified? Why did she break up with me? Why did this betrayal happen? Why is there a split in this relationship? God, how could you let that happen? If you've ever been offended by Jesus, congratulations, you're human. In other words, we might say, oh, if you're offended by Jesus, you're less spiritual. No, you're human. The reality is, I think the disciples were also offended with Jesus, but we have two different responses. If you've never been offended or disrupted by Jesus, I wonder if you're being honest with yourself. Because if we aren't challenged by Jesus, I would suggest we've made him in our own image. Because we've made a Jesus that loves the same things we love, does the same things we do, spends his money in the same way that we spend our money, hates the same people we hate. But Jesus is so disruptive disruptive to our natural bent. And so our weekly practice, in order to lean into this in a greater way, is to daily read John 6, verse 25 to 69. Uh, this is more. This is the entire passage on this. We're just reading a portion of it today. And ask yourself, how has Jesus offended me? Can we be honest and bring those things out into the open in order to bring before God? You might, maybe it's that sharing Christ's love is offensive when you realize it includes someone whose politics run counter to yours. Or maybe it's tending to the vulnerable is offensive when it asks you to curtail some of your own individual rights and freedoms. Or maybe God's call for justice is offensive when they shift from words on lips to feet on streets. And the bigger challenge, though, is what comes next? Because we might find ourselves in a, I can't believe you just said that. Are we going to walk away? Or are we going to stand strong and dig deep, wondering, why do I find this offensive? And if we focus only on the offense, we're missing out on the opportunity to learn, grow, and truly experience life. Because what did Jesus offer in this offensive statement? Life. You will not die. You will experience true life, resurrection power. Which means that When they left, they walked away from life, which means that unresolved offense leads to death. It will eat us up from the inside out. We live in a culture where ease and comfort and good feelings are of a high, high value. So much so that we value them above growth. And when we do that, though, it is a choice to embrace and accept personal, spiritual, and I would say emotional immaturity. Because we're unwilling to mature and grow. But after this interaction, these other disciples leave a big bunch of the crowd. Here are now is the Jesus and his closer disciples. And, they say, and he says to them, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Jesus says, does this offend you? They didn't say no. They just said, where else are we going to go? I don't understand what you're doing, Jesus. I don't get why you would say that. I don't understand why you would not care that the crowds went away. I don't understand even what you're talking about, but I trust you. Or maybe it's, God, I don't know why you didn't heal him. I don't know why you didn't save her. I don't know why this happened. I would definitely do it differently if I were God, but I'm not, so I trust you. I don't like it, but I trust you. I'm angry, but I trust you. I'm offended, but I'm not gonna leave you. Your perspective on enemy love offends me, but I trust you. Where else am I gonna go? Your perspective on nonviolence offends me, but where else am I gonna go? Your perspective on sex and sexuality offends me, but but where else am I gonna go? Your perspective on, on money offends me, but where else am I gonna go, Jesus? I trust you. I don't understand, but I don't have to because I trust you In Matthew chapter 11, there's a story about John the Baptizer, who was the one who said Jesus is the Messiah, he's the one coming, but later he finds himself in prison. And in prison, he, he sends somebody to Jesus to ask, are you really the Messiah? Because John, John, I wonder, is sitting here in, the, in this prison thinking... Is he really? Because this is costing me a lot right now, so I better double-check to make sure that he really is the one that he says he is and who I thought he is, but I'm not totally sure at this moment. And so this guy, or maybe a woman, goes to Jesus, we don't know, and says, and Jesus' response to, Are you the Messiah? He quotes Isaiah, a passage out of Isaiah, and he says, The lame are walking, and the the uh, deaf ears are open, blind eyes are open, but then he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, here you are in prison. Are you offended that you haven't somehow experienced something better? Something different? You find yourself in a tough spot? Maybe what Jesus is saying and making clear here in John chapter 6 is that following Jesus isn't the glamorous path. It isn't always going to be the easy, comfortable Life is going to be great path. That yes, it's the the path of eternal life. But as he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, it is a narrow path. Today's Communion Sunday, and so I cannot think of a better message to couple with taking communion together. So we're going to end this message and end this gathering by taking communion as a way of, Embracing the words of Jesus found here in John 6. So on your way in, you should have received a communion cup. If you did not, no problem. You can just raise your hand and one of our host team will make their way to you. Make sure that you get communion cup. Just keep your hand raised until they get to you. In the meantime, the Scripture says that we are to examine ourselves before we take communion. Meaning we're not to enter into it flippantly, but instead thoughtfully, also with a pure heart. And it actually says that if you are offended with a brother or a sister, you're to go to them. It brings up offense. But offense in our heart can block the ways in which we experience God. And so I wonder if we can't take a moment, about 30 seconds or so, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and bring anything to mind where we are offended. Maybe we're offended with God. Maybe we're offended with someone else that we would identify those things and start working towards forgiveness, confess our bitterness, our offense, maybe our anger and our rage, maybe our lack of desire to forgive. So if you would, for the next 30 seconds or so, Holy Spirit, search us and know us. Find any offensive or anxious way in us. We're also going to pray a confessional prayer together. Prayer is going to come up here on the screen. And when we pray a confessional prayer together, what it does is it reminds us that we together are following Jesus and in need of His mercy and grace, not one of us more or less than the other. And so let's pray this prayer together. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, forgive us. We have lived by the light of our own eyes, faithless and unbelieving. In your mercy, forgive us. And we have lived for this world alone and forgotten that our home is in you. In your mercy, forgive us. And so may the God of all healing draw us to himself and cleanse us from all our sins that we may behold the glory of His Son, the Word made flesh. Lord, hear us and help us. Amen. Here at Mill City, we practice what we call open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to encourage you to participate with us. Communion is not about membership in one particular church, but about belonging to the family of God. Maybe for some of you here, you'd say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And maybe one of the reasons you're not a follower of Jesus is because because you've been offended. Offended maybe by somebody who has said they're a Christian and the way they act or treat you or someone else. Or maybe it's about what you might read about in the news, about things that have happened in churches, betrayal of leaders. But maybe here today you recognize that You're offended at a person, but and have transferred that offense towards God. Would you maybe in this moment cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, I trust you? To sincerely say, Jesus, I trust you is a way of saying I I may not know everything, I may not understand everything. I was hurt by that. I don't, it's not about dismissing hurt, but it is about acknowledging Jesus. You are the one that offers eternal life. You are the one that will satisfy my deepest longings. And so I trust you. If that's you here today, and even just for the first time or the first time in a long time, just pray that simple prayer, Jesus, I trust you. I would encourage you to participate in communion with us as a way of saying, I embrace the work of Jesus that brings about the defeat of death and eternal life. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the Jewish imagination, the idea of remembering, do this in remembrance of me, was not just about acknowledging the past, but actually about remembering and bringing the past into the present. So what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem was was a, a, a scandalous picture of grace and potentially a stumbling block for those who would say, I'm looking for a powerful king that's going to overthrow the Romans. That is a sign of weakness. But what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I didn't come to overthrow the Romans. I came to overthrow death and break the power of sin in the most unlikely way possible. And so by taking in the bread and the juice, we are reminded of and remembering and pulling the grace of everything that happened on that day into the present. And we say, Jesus, we eat your flesh, we drink your blood as a way to say, we know you are the bread of life and we look to you for eternal life. Let's eat the bread and the juice together and then I'll pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you knew that not only was the world broken and we were broken, but that we couldn't rescue ourselves out of the curse of death. And so you sent your son into the world. And Jesus, you gave your life away and you in the ways that you did it and what you did and how you demonstrated love. And you demonstrated the, the overwhelming power of God on the cross. And by even on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. God, it doesn't make sense to us at times. And sometimes we might find ourselves offended. But God, where else are we going to go? And so we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrificial death on the cross. And, and we say we trust you. Would you help us to receive forgiveness and give it? to live to live in such a way that we're actually maybe unoffendable because we know how much we've been forgiven, how offensive we were to you, and yet you loved us so deeply. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that we'd live out of the reality of your life and what you've done, and may we not think and be offended because the, the following Jesus is not glamorous and not always easy. It doesn't always help us to have good feelings, but we trust you. Help us to be salt and light in this world, communicating your great love to the world. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said...